Hello and welcome to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today. Your co-hosts, Valian Likely and Catherine Lotzbeach. Welcome back to Millennial Ag. We're excited to have you back this week. And once again, we have a very special guest. Yes, we have Ryan Steele here with us. Um, recording here at the Idaho Cattle Association. It's not going to air at the same time we're recording, but we're, we've had a good time so far, I think. And um, Ryan is a third generational stockman from the Idaho Falls area, which for those of you not familiar with Idaho is the um, eastern side of Idaho. And they operate about a 4,500 head feed yard, um, both dairy heifers and some beef cattle as well that they have. Ryan is a board member of the Idaho Cattle Association and then is also involved with NCBA and some young leadership and young cattlemen's stuff at that level. So with that, Ryan, would you want to kind of dive a little more into your operation and introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, I, like Val said, I'm Ryan Steele. Um, we uh, mainly raise uh, dairy heifers uh, for some of these dairies in Idaho. Um, we background a, a fair amount of cattle that um, we'll head east um, to Colorado. They'll be finished in Colorado. Um, we farm a couple thousand acres. Um, all the feeds grown for the yard, it's all centered around the livestock. Um, that's our operation in a nutshell. Um, we have about 10 guys that work with us, and uh, I've been on the cattle side, and Dad's been on the farm side, and it's worked really well for us. Well, that's great. How was how having a little bit of segregation with your dad's probably helped the management oh, yeah. side of things. It sounds like. Yeah. So you always hear those cases of people that are their father son duo and they're constantly at each other's throats because somebody wants to do this and somebody wants to do that. And the generational lag of letting go and taking up responsibilities. And uh, I don't wait. I feel really fortunate because dad and I, early on, right when I got out of college and came back, developed who was doing what. And we, we made it a point to even divide the employees. And we were very particular about it because there has to be somebody's responsible for this and somebody's responsible for that. And then you have to allow the other person to make decisions. And if you're not willing to do that, I wasn't willing to work by the hour. I wasn't willing to be a feedlot employee. That's not something I was interested in. And he knew that and he, he didn't want that either. So, um, we just devised it, the feed yards all the time, 365 farming seasonal. So dad wanted to do the winters are pretty good to him. They're pretty easy. And, and I'm more in the thick of it. It's a day to day cattle feeding. And that's where my interest lied anyway. Okay. So it worked out really well. I was just going to ask, Ryan, how long you've been back on the operation? So I came back, oh, let's see. I, you know, I was always kind of around. I mean, it's not like you just cut up and go to school and never come back. But I mean, when I came back to really full-time work, I think, well, uh, let's see, seven years ago. Okay. And, uh, and right when I got back, um, that's when we decided that we kind of need to split things up to keep both of our relationships healthy and then to kind of promote going into the future, what we were going to do. Um, I wanted to expand, of course, young, dumb, and ready to do something. So <laughs> he didn't want to, you know, he said, I, Ryan, I don't have to, I don't need to. And 
you know, financially, I don't have to do any of this. And so I don't want to have to deal with it. So if you do, you do it. And that's kind of how it went. And I mean, we're, we're dad and I are both businessmen. As long as the numbers work, it's fine. If the numbers don't work, it's not fine. And my favorite saying to him was the proof's in the pudding. Cause he'd say, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And say, dad, at the end of the year, let's get together and check out the bottom line. And then we can see what I'm doing. And if it's not cool, then you can <laughs> veto my decisions, <laughs> I guess, if you will. <laughs> and it's worked and we haven't looked back. That's, it's really refreshing, I think, for both Catherine and I um, to hear you talk about the business side of things because family, especially listening to some of the sessions this week and today, we put emotion, we put stuff, but, yeah. if, but if the bottom line doesn't work, we don't have a business and so much of agriculture and so much of what we're hearing is, well, you have to have, if you're going to make a million dollars, you got to start with two million dollars and it's like, it's right. really frustrating when, some, when, we're, when we understand the business side and to get our generation involved and, and show them that it is profitable and you can make right. money at this business. Well, and, and, and luckily dad and I think the same and you know, you'll see some operations, they do the same thing every year regardless because that's the way grandpa did it or, Oh, I've always loved this breed of cattle. And so we have these and you know, markets are constantly changing. They're always different. Every year is different. There's seasonalities, but every single year is different. And I've always told people, I'll feed goats if they make money. I'm, I, I'll feed a burrow. <laughs> I'll feed dairy heifers. I don't care. Whatever it is that if they're if it's profitable, we're there. We're, we're there. We're we're business, mm -hmm. and we just happen to be in the cattle business. And I enjoy it. I enjoy the cattle, but. Um, if they don't make money, we don't want to own them. Mm -hmm. Somebody else can own them. <laughs> they can tell me how many they need and how cool it is, and they can take the loss. Mm -hmm. And we'll figure out something else. And dad's always willing to change. He's always let me. Um, I made a bunch of changes when I first got on. We had feed sheets. <laughs> you ever tried to have feed several thousand head? Feeds <laughs> is horrible. It sucks. Yep. Like Excel. It was, it was terrible. So... One of the first things I did was feedlot software. Um, I cut our feed costs by like 8% in the first month just because of waste and rations. Not 8% in one month. Is, yeah. And the, big, accomplishing and the, the biggest one, the biggest one is our supplement because mm -hmm. you have an ingredient that's, you know, 50 bucks a ton and you have a supplement that's 400 a ton. If they're swapping those even five to 10%, it's huge. And you feed several thousand of them every day is huge. Uh, we paid for that software in a month and it was a lot easier. To wow. The different generations and the technology able to have your perspective of the technology with your dad's um, experience right. is a good, a good combination that I don't think is, is often valued enough in agriculture. No, so. no. And there's, and there's what I see with the older generation and the younger generation is the older generation. A lot of times doesn't want to let go. Mm -hmm. And then there's a reason they've always done it this way. And then the younger generation says, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I want to do it this way. And there kind of has to be a give and take. Like for instance, I want to run all these electronic 
you know, feedlot softwares and EIDs and things that help me manage, but he has all the experience. So instead we get together and how can we make this work? You know, with his experience of what does and doesn't work, I don't need to make the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of tailored it to work with our machinery. We had to do a few upgrades there and, and, but you can carry that over into anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, but we've been really fortunate and dad's really let me basically give me enough rope to either do it or don't. And I guess I better be lucky than good because it's worked out <laughs> all right so far. <laughs> well, Ryan, it's incredible to hear um, that you and your dad have worked out that working relationship. You know, it sounds like you guys had, um, you know, had a priority of preserving your relationship as well. And, um, I just know from other conversations we've had, me and Valley and talking, you know, me and my my own family working on the on the generational transition, but um, conflict is very real and it can be really hard to get past. Do you have do you have any recommendations or tips on how to how to resolve some conflicts? Well, I, I think first everybody needs to get together and figure out what everyone's goals are, because you know, if there's three or four people in an operation, everybody's goals are going to be different. The young guy right. wants to grow and expand and he's going to farm the world. And the old guy's saying, I'm too old for this. I want to take Saturday and Sunday off and I want to play with the grandkids. And then mm -hmm. you have, you know, maybe some middle-aged family members that, you know, they're looking to build retirement or they're looking to preserve equity. They don't want to take a lot of risks or, you know, just, bottom line is every you need to figure out where everyone's wanting to go and then you can start the discussion how do you suit what your operation is doing how the management is to work for everyone that everyone's included and everyone feels like you know you're not going to get everything you want especially with multiple family members but that at least they're being thought of that it's still part of their operation they get know. a little bit of the piece of the pie or something mm. they can manage or, or own themselves. Right. That, that they are pursuing what they feel is valuable to them. You know, whatever goal they want. Um, I think that that's where you have to start. And where you see a lot of these families that get in these huge feuds, it's because they are pulling two completely different directions and they're working together every single day, pulling exact opposite directions. And like, there's no way that, that is not going to involve conflict. And they can't just sit down and have a conversation at the beginning before they even start and have yeah. those hard conversations of the think the feuds that maybe you and your dad saw that you could have and how you could prevent them maybe right. up front. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and the other critical thing is, is once you do have, those conversations and those concessions or those agreements, you have to stick to them. And that's the biggest thing you'll see is, oh, okay, well, you're in charge of this now, son. And then, well, I don't like that. And we're doing it like that. And it just totally goes away. You, you have to, you have to let it ride basically to a degree. I mean, you don't want to let somebody run your operation into the ground, but you do have to keep it strictly divided. And put put some trust in the in your team members to pull their side of the weight. Well, and that can be another hard conversation. There might be a 
you know, either an older guy or a younger guy in your operation that isn't cut out for what they think they are. And that needs to be said. And maybe things that you can do to work to where everyone's comfortable, but that that has to be approached as well. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I value my relationship with my dad more than most. Um, And so first and foremost, that was my biggest thing. And that's really why we did this. Cause I'm not going to sit here and argue with you all day, every day, five days a week about something. <laughs> like it's not worth that. To me. Yep. So if it's going to be a problem, we'll just not do that. Let's figure out some other family path or, first. Yeah. I mean, this is a business. I mean, my family's before my business by a mile, but luckily we've made it work. And I feel very fortunate because you see a lot of people that struggle and it never turns out good. No, it doesn't. And you get, then you get lawsuits and litigation and somebody well, ends up. And family members not talking to each other mm-hmm. over some piece of farm ground. Like you drive by farm fields every day. Is it really worth that 40 tearing your family apart? Like, no, yeah. at least in my eyes. Well, and <laughs> we're only on this earth for a short time and our relationships and our families are so, so valuable that you have to have your business and be successful and sustain that family. But those relationships at the end of the day, like you said, are our number one priority in, or in our eyes anyway. Yeah. Well, and how many people do you see that go broke and then come right back at it and then they have a successful business in another arena or they reorganize and do it again? I mean, a business isn't real. I mean, in reality, financially, it's, it's not, an intrinsic thing really it's in, at least in my eyes it's just my opinion and dad and I are going to work together and that's why I told him I'm not working by the hour in fact this is one of our famous arguments <laughs> he I would say when I was running the feed yard sometimes I'd get there at six because we had to load cattle or whatever mm-hmm. and sometimes I wouldn't get there till nine because first thing in the morning I'd run into town and get parts and bring them out with me and then we'd get going and he kept saying, you got to be here by this time. You got to be here by this time. You need to be here before all these guys and yada, yada, yada. And finally, I told him, if you want me to be here at eight, I'll be here at eight. You want me to be here at seven? You want me to be here till six? And you better pay me by the hour. But if I'm running this thing, I'm going to sh- do what needs to be done. And I'll be here because you don't see the times where I'm here at six loading cattle because you're not here till eight and the cattle are gone. Like, it's already <laughs> so, done. Like there just has to be kind of an ebb and flow. And we did have some of those struggles before, but as I started to have success, he gained more trust and it's totally based on trust and, and the proofs in the pudding. You can, our financials are done every two weeks. You know, we do payroll and bills and all that. You can pull reports up every two weeks if you'd like. Make sure that. And yeah, you can see exactly where you're at. I mean, are your decisions fruitful or are they, you know, failures, you can make those calls. Well, that's, that's invaluable. And for you to, for you guys to have that relationship and actually get it going from the beginning is, is, um, is valuable. I think switching gears just a little bit and talking about um, getting the millennial generation or the next generation involved in industry. And how, how did you get involved, I guess, with your board position and and how do you recommend other people get involved? So for me, um, I tell don't, us what your board position is too, Ryan, for our listeners. 
Okay, so I'm on the, this is my third year. Um, I'll actually be termed out after this convention, but this is my third year on the Idaho cattle. Turned out like cattle onto pasture? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is my, I'm on the uh, board of directors for the Idaho Cattle Association. Um, and Lori Likely called me out of the blue, her and Jared Brackett one day. I even remember where I was, oddly enough. Um, I was standing in the middle of a bunch of heifers and I got this call and, you know, this is Lori Likely and Jared Brackett. And we, you know, they started asking me cause I hadn't been involved with the ICA. I mean, I think at the time I was like 24. Yeah. I'm 27 now. And I didn't think anybody even cared what I thought, let alone would want to give me a, you know, position of, to give any direction. And, uh, so I, I told her I'd think about it and I thought about it and asked dad about it. He th said, I thought I should. So, um, I came over to convention and, um, they have kind of like an interview process basically. Um, and then they've put me on the board. Um, and that's how I got involved with ICA and CBA. It all basically started from there. Um, those so dang likely, they always pull you into stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially Lori. She's she's a go-getter, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and getting into agriculture, the younger generation, I, I was really lucky because I had, you know, an established operation. I didn't have to go look for one or go, you know, work at one. And the problem with agriculture is the capital. I mean, a load of calves is $80,000 roughly. I mean, and, and the machinery and the land and the whole nine, it's not like you can go into Joe Blow Bank and so I'm going to start a farm today. I mean, it's not how it works. Um, and I've always, I've often thought about that. What would I have done if I really wanted to be in agriculture, but I didn't have this, you know, stepping stone that I already have. And there really are no good answers because everyone's situations are so different, but I thought I would make myself valuable and it, whether your experience, you know, if your experience is in finances of, you know, agribusiness or um, if you understand the management of cattle or the management of people um, or if you're in the marketing side, if you know how to hedge things and, you know, buy and sell and you're, that's your gig you got to learn one of those, one of those to make yourself valuable. And then maybe you can go, I thought I would always go work for a larger company, um, like a cattle feeder of some sort. Maybe you can start feeding some of your own cattle at some point once you get your legs under you. And that's not to say maybe you couldn't step out on your own at some point. Once you just kind of start building from the ground up and just start saving mm -hmm. and finding somebody that, that maybe trust you to run a few of your own cows, cows or have a pen. And, well, and there's a guy here in Idaho. I respect a ton. And he started from, I mean, ground zero is uh, John Hepton mm -hmm. and he's Performix. He's a nutritionist and uh, he went to work for Performix and started feeding a few, feeding a few, feeding a few. And now he has his own yard, his own calf ranch. I think he's feeding 30,000 at his yard and, about the same at his calf ranch and he he went to u of i he didn't have anything to start with and it's a crazy story but that happens 
so you're essentially saying that if, if you want to be involved and you want to do something bad enough, there's a way to do it. You just have to be patient, find the right people and continue to work yeah, at well, it. Well, and just because, just because the path isn't direct, just because you can't go into the local bank and take a loan out for a million dollars to buy some machinery and some land and some cattle and there you go and have it cash flow or pencil like it's just it's not feasible that doesn't mean that the barrier of entry is too high i i think that there's just other ways to do that and and maybe getting a start with some of these other operations or a neighboring operation and and learning from their day-to-day -day operations and what to do and what not to do i mean if they've already figured it out there's no reason you need to go make those mistakes and <laughs> right again. exactly you know and and uh and maybe you can start whatever your passion is doing that financially you get your legs under you and i the way you go I, I that's the way i always thought it would be because i never i don't think i could do a desk job i honestly think i'd go nuts so i mean <laughs> i have to be going or it just doesn't work for me well we can relate to sitting behind a desk on Catherine and going cross yeah few days yeah we sure can um there is something about wanting to be an agriculturist that makes you you know you want to be out in the field you want to be on your ranch or on your farm or wherever outside doing those things that's that's for definite sure we we totally understand that and ryan i just want to say i really appreciate this line of thought that you've had number one that you know you need to add value to yourself somehow that's so so that you are valuable in whatever it is that you're trying to do next, whether you're going on to, you know, work in agribusiness or come back to the farm, you know, you have to have personal value too that, that you bring to whatever it is you're doing. And then that second thought, I, I really appreciated you saying <laughs> that there's not necessarily always a straight and narrow path. And, and that's something I know that I can get stuck on. You know, I think that sometimes there's only one way to do it, or I have a hard time switching switching methods if not directions um and so i i appreciate hearing that from somebody you know um in our own our own age and and hearing how it's worked for you well and the beautiful thing about agriculture is all the people that want to be involved in it it is almost never for the money because it doesn't make oh, any sense <laughs> to do what we do and the dollars you put on the table to make it all work I mean, dad and I joke that we could have went and bought a bunch of commercial buildings and collected rent. I mean, you know, and not have to deal sure, with livestock paper, or, right? or what have you, you know, and that's, that's the, that, that's the cool thing about the younger generation wanting to get involved is it's, it's a real, almost a yearning, I guess. And it's really odd when you're out there with the cattle and sometimes you want to it just drive you nuts, you know? And then, but then the next day if I go on vacation, I can stay four or five days away. And then I got to get out and do something. I got to look at the cattle. I got to go look at, you know, what's our feed doing? I mean, it's just, it's, I just enjoy it. A psychological. Yeah. It's like a rest almost. Yeah. Them. Well, and it's just a, it's a, I love, uh, we, we bring in a lot of 400 pound calves and they're all individually tagged with, RFIDs and numbers. And so I'll pick out, you know, a random number that's a easy number, 75,000 or whatever her number is coming off the truck. And I'll watch, I'll watch her. I'll have like four or five numbers that I can remember in my head. 
And I just love seeing this little 400 pound rinky dink little heifer doesn't know anything, you know, just, and then you see her coming up and grow up and uh, we breed them at our place and she's headed back to have her own calf. And it takes, you know, over a year they're with us, but I, I, I don't know why I just love that. And I love seeing her get back on the truck. Nice, pretty filled up, you know, just looks good. I just get a kick out of that. And the, the, all your hard work too, going from that skinny, scrawny little heifer and, and your changes you've made over the years too, to make that more efficient and productive and then oh, ship, yeah. ship your finished, that's your finished product right. onto their next job. Right. And it's all in, in, in the feedlot side of things, there's, there's a lot to it. And I love balancing a ration to, I mean, you're really taking care of these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're making decisions you know, how can you do it economically? Of course, that's, you know, the bottom line side of it. But um, sometimes it doesn't make financial sense, but the cattle need it. And so there you go. Because and it's snowing and blowing sideways and you have right. to just try to keep them alive this the week. Cattle come first, you know, and we were always out there. You know, it was, it was zero degrees two weeks ago in Idle Falls when I was headed to work. We had some big cold blast. Anyway, I was just thinking this is crazy like what kind of a job is this i mean it's middle of october and i get to go to work in zero degrees <laughs> but we got them all through it that's that's but that's the rewarding part too when you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and they all survived oh, yeah. or you you can you can make it through there so what's one piece of advice you'd have for, for millennials either getting into agriculture or um that are questioning whether they want to get into agriculture? Well, one, you really need to decide early on if this is what you want to do, because it can be very tough and it can be very unforgiving. And if you're not there for the right reasons, it, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be any good at it. And it's not going to be a success. Um, like I said, if you're there because you're, neighbor's cousin has a farm and he has nice stuff and I want money like he's got, that's not how it works. <laughs> you're not going to, it's not going to be fruitful. Um, you really need to decide why you're there. If you like animals, if you like the marketing side of commodities and stuff, there's, you know, there's different fits for every person. Hell, if you just want to drive a feed truck, if that's your thing and you want to work by the hour, then do that, but like it. <laughs> be pa have some passion right, and drive. getting you know if that's your thing be the best mixer guy that you've ever seen you know you really want to be sure because it is unforgiving if, you, if you're not um, and, and it shows in work. your production yeah too. you can't mother nature doesn't lie I mean that's one of those businesses you can't you know you can paint a house and you can do all sorts you can shine up your car but if you start fouling up with mother nature, it doesn't lie. You can't paint over that. It's whatever you did or didn't do that made that work or not work. You can tell if the cattle have been fed day right, in or, day out. Or, or your crops, you know, mm -hmm. if they're yielding or if your management's any good. I mean, it's, and it's very unforgiving. If you're not doing the correct things, it's can be financially devastating very quickly. Um, that would be the first thing. The second thing, like I said, make yourself valuable. And whatever it is that you like to do, go for it. 
and get find your niche and find your passion, but you have to make yourself valuable. And there's too many people out there that they go to college and they get a degree and something X, Y, Z, and they think that that's the ticket. And that's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. Not in real business. You that's just to. the first step. In- yeah, that's to get your resume through the door. And then you have to prove what do you bring to the company? You know, whether it's sales, whether you talk too much like myself, you know, I think I'd still think I'd be a terrible salesman, but you know, whatever you're into, you got to find that first. And that, I would start there and then you got to kind of get going and then figure out your barriers of entry later. But the first thing is get your foot in the door, figure out what you want and if you really want it and then go from there. I think that's fabulous advice that anybody at any age can take and, and start whatever, whatever endeavor or passion it is, is, is do it, do it a hundred percent. Either you're in or you're out. And right. I think that's something maybe our generation tends to lack sometimes. Yeah. Well, and they've been taught got to get a degree. doesn't matter what it's in. Got to get a degree. And I think within our generation, you're going to see that start to flip because everybody's got a degree and half of them are worth nothing. And they have all these student loan debts and all this stuff that goes with it. And they're not any more valuable than they were coming out of high school. I mean, there's, you really have yeah, to just, focus on what you're doing. Just having that piece of paper, like you guys said, it's just, it's really just getting your foot in the door these days. The experience um, that's related to your major that college gives you really can't compete with private industry and, um, you know, definitely not saying don't get a college degree, but they're not, <laughs> right. they're not as valuable as they used to be. And there's, you know, real world experience and, and, and those types of things are, are really, really what is more valuable. And like you say, finding your own personal value. So appreciate, appreciate that perspective too. I think it's a truth that needs to be talked about and um, just thank you for bringing it to light and we can, you know, we can start those conversations. Um, as a millennial yourself, Ryan, as we've said several times throughout, what do you find most challenging about being in agriculture? Is What is the most challenging thing to you? Is it the people? Is it the hours? Is it the hard seasons? Is it, is it the marketing? What's your biggest challenge and how do you, how do you confront it? You know, as I go through different stages of my life, the challenges are always different. When I was young, I could work all the time, you know, single, nobody to come home to. Didn't matter if I was gone you know, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Um, I'd work it. It was fine. Um, you know, as time goes on, you know, I have three kids and, you know, your wife wants you at home and they're not cool with the seven twelves anymore, you know, so different, different types of things, you know, affect people at different stages of their life. So that can be multifaceted, but for me in particular, just as of late is our, our labor situation in the U S has gotten so difficult to find good people that are willing to work. Um, that's by far our biggest problem with our operation. I can buy new machinery. I can go down and you can fix those problems immediately. You know, they're available, but if there's no one there to work or if there's no one willing to work, regardless of the value that you place on that, you're kind of, you know, SOL in a way. Um, and that's been really, that's been our biggest challenge by far. And I know that's, we're not alone because every producer I've talked to, Hey, do you know of anybody? 
uh, no, but we're actually looking for a couple guys too. You know, it's everybody I talk to. Yeah, that's definitely the conversation that, I mean, Valine and I hear that out in the field here in Colorado. I hear that in Utah. I mean, everywhere. That is, that is definitely the biggest challenge. Like you say, equipment can be fixed and you can get it up and running, but if there's not someone to, to feed the cows or to milk the cows or to chop the corn or whatever it is that you have to do, it makes doing, doing our jobs a lot more difficult. Have you guys, have you and your dad or your operation found any unique solutions to that or you just trying to, to get along as well as you can, just like everybody else? Well, we've utilized the H2A program, which is a foreign workers program. Um, mm-hmm. They're allowed to be here nine, well, no, 10 months out of the year. But you have to prove to the feds that it's a seasonal need. And that's what the challenge is, um, that you're allowed to bring them in on a seasonal basis. So if your harvest or farming or whatever starts in April and you go clear through October, you can justify all those things. Um, and that's kind of a complicated thing to get into to figure that one out. But we've utilized that program. Um, and then with our full-time guys, um, I've just had to basically change gears. I've never had to recruit people, quote unquote. It was always, hey, uh, you know, Juan or whoever you have working, do you have anybody that needs a job? Would they want to come work here? Or, you know, and you could always mm-hmm. get a couple of, you know, there was at one point we had like four or five or six guys that were all cousins and they're just a big, huge family basically out there. It's cause that's how we found new people. And now, yeah. right now I have an ad out on our local um, Hispanic like radio station to get guys to come in and, and work. And that's actually been successful. There's, but, but I've never had to do that before. I've never had to try to find people to work. And then we're not talking like skilled labor either. We're talking just straight show up to work and show up. Like that's it. I mean, we're not talking um, manager type, you know, people. It's just basic tasks. And that's by far our biggest problem. Just somebody to, to show up and punch the punch the clock and be willing to learn some of these tasks that you need them to do is right. Yeah, definitely a challenge I think everybody's facing and in a lot of different industries too right now. So Oh yeah. We'll see. Do you see it going a little bit more robust? I don't know. The feed yards I know is a little different. But the dairies are already moving in that direction. Um so yeah, I think that for sure. Um I think as far as like cattle feeding goes, I think it's going to push automation. I mean, you can only take that so far because you're, you know, delivering a physical product to a physical location. And, you know, it's not like a warehouse or or a factory where you're fabricating something. Mm -hmm. It's, it does involve transportation, but yeah, I, for sure. I, and I don't know how you get around it. And our political climate is so volatile. I don't even care what end of the spectrum you're on. It doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, you have four years of this, then eight years of that. And then the other person gets into power and never mind, we're not doing any of that. And these are the programs now. And it's very difficult to, to figure out, to bob and weave all the time, basically with your operation. Just find some consistency. You can, you can decide how you're going to approach it. Right. Some consistency and, and you know what you're doing and, and, 
keeping it profitable, you know, being able to pay the wages that are, you know, commanded for your market. I mean, it's, it's always changing, but that never used to be uh, an issue. And now it's one of our biggest ones. That's unfortunate. And we hope that there's some, there's some shift or some solutions, hopefully coming down the pipeline. But right now I don't think we see any of those, but I think at a point there's going to be enough industries and enough business that have enough political clout in different directions that are going to force, ideally force our government to figure out a solution for the immigrant status. Um, because it's not just agriculture that's hurting. It's a lot of different businesses with a lot of different political views and connections. And I, I've, I would hope that it will come to a head at some point. It will come to a head at some point. I think it's probably going to, unfortunately, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And, and, you know, we're headed into a presidential election year and there's definitely going to be a lot of talk, but my cynical self says not a lot of solutions that are going to come, you know, in the next year to 18 months. Um, but we appreciate your perspective on that too. Again, just, just talking about these things, getting them out there and, um, you know, as time goes on, we'd like to have you back on the podcast to to talk more about these things um, because you're there on the ground. You know, you've got serious experience doing this or, or dealing with these issues right now. And and, uh, you know, we as as the next generation, we need to we need to be having these conversations and trying to trying to come up with solutions and, and pushing on on, you know, people in power to to solve these problems. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. And hopefully, uh, hopefully some producer somewhere can take something out of this and realize that, you know, maybe they thought they were the only one having these problems. Um, they're not, and I know that doesn't make them feel any better, I guess, but you know, everybody's dealing with those kinds of things right now. And hopefully together we come up with some solutions as to how it can work for everyone. I think getting involved and, and having a voice at the table, whatever, table it may be, whether it's a local association, the state association, po politics or whatever. I think, I think getting involved is kind of how we can continue to at least have a voice and a, a seat at the table. So thank you, Ryan, for coming on the podcast today. And we look forward to seeing what your next endeavors with your operation and with the association has to do. And Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Feel free to reach out to us, provide feedback, and submit your questions. Our email address is katherine at millennialag.com. That is Catherine with a K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. And please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, rate us on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>